0: Now, already, already in Israel, the shofar, how many knows what a shofar is? Shofar is that long ram's horn that the priest blows. And in Israel, it has already been blown today. So I don't know when exactly when dusk happened, but we're about 12 hours difference or so. And, and so we know that we know that has been blown in Israel, which signifies when the priest blew that, is that a new beginning is happening in the earth, in particular with God's chosen people, the Jews, but also with the other seed of Abraham, which are the believer, the Christian, those that have come to Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Galatians that you and I have been grafted into the family of Abraham by way of Jesus. And so we're part of the seed of Abraham. So very special significance significant time is being commemorated during this season. And this is known to us, it's called the Days of Awe, because it's a time of awe and wonder with God, where God makes breakthroughs and miracles like he never has done all year long. Something special happens during this time. Tonight, for us in America, begins Rosh Hashanah. It happens September 9th. And it moves all the way to a time of Yom Kippur, which is the last two days of fasting that happens during the days of all. There are 10 days altogether. So Rosh Hashanah literally translates this way in the Hebrew it means the head, everybody say the head. It also means this, the beginning. Specifically, as it speaks to the calendar of the new year. So it's saying it's the head of the new year or the beginning of the new year. God has two. This is so incredible how God operates. He doesn't operate like man. He actually gives his grace, his mercy, his mercy twice a year, two times a year. It's not in on January 1. It happens, the first one happens in the year, we've had it already, is Passover. And the second time it happens is atonement. We'll talk a little bit more about that today. But there are two times in God's calendar every 6 months or so, God says, "I'm going to give you a new season or brand new start." How many is ready for a new season and a brand new start in your life? I got both hands, right? So, Rosh Hashanah means the head or the beginning of the new year, and Yom Kippur, Yom means day, Kippur means to atone or to repent, repent. Now, that's interesting. Again, it's the 10 days of all, starts tonight, moves into September 19th, and ends up with Yom Kippur, day to atone, or atonement day. That's how we'd say it in English. And it's interesting because there's a certain particular item called the Kippurit. And the Kippurit is where we get our word Kippur. And it was a covering that Moses established or made, had made, to put over the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, for those that don't know, was... Uh, an ark, it was, it was made of acacia wood, it was overlaid with gold, and on top of that, there were two um, cherubim angels, where the angels, the angels' wings would touch one another, and it would form a seat, and God said, I will dwell there between the cherubim, and I will make it my seat on planet earth, so it's where the presence of God dwelt, and you couldn't touch the ark, and you had, to, you had to have the poles and only the priest could, could move that ark from time to time as it was necessary for it was a tabernacle, not a temple. Temple was something that was established. Tabernacle was like a tent. It was moved here and there. And so, but it was it was placed uh, to be uh, that a, a priest would present himself once a year to atone or repent for the sin of Israel for one whole year. 12 months, 365 days. And if God approved of the sacrifice, Uh, then they would be atoned for one year. And it would roll over to the next and to the next and to the next. So in other words, it kept heaping up until Jesus came and Jesus became the final atonement for anybody that believes in him. Our sins don't heap up to the next year. We don't get forgiven for 12 months. We get forgiven for a lifetime. A beautiful, beautiful thing that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary as our sacrifice. And so the Kippurit... um, Uh, was something that was set on the Ark of the Covenant. It's where we get the word to atone. Church, God works in seasons and cycles and in patterns. You see throughout the word of God, there's no doubt that he does this. Seasons, cycles, and patterns. To where, yes, his ways can be mysterious, but we have patterns by which we can follow the Lord and know when he's moving and when he's not moving. Jesus, I will say this this way, it's not controversial, but just hear me out. Jesus could not have died just any old day. It couldn't be January 3rd or uh, let's say um, uh, February 16th or, or July 7th. No. Those have been random dates. Jesus died, the Bible says, at the time of Passover, the very day that you would have heard the lambs bleeding. They would be Bane. The, the, the Bible says, "Bane." They would be. You'd hear them in the distance as the priests were gathered together for sacrifice. That would have been the time that Jesus died, smack dab, perfectly timed out by the Almighty God, who is Lord of time. Time is not Lord of Him. He's eternal. That knows exactly when to do things and when exactly not to do them. It was chosen before the foundation of the world that Jesus would become the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. Are you following me so far? So, so now then, you have this, that, that, that Jesus becomes our Passover Lamb once and for all. So there is no scripture that tells us emphatically that we must now as New Testament uh, Christians to follow the, the Passover or to follow the Pentecost, which is the second feast, or to follow the third, which is the atonement. But we see the pattern that God has never released us not to. But we don't do it like times of old because we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore because Jesus became the sacrifice. And that's a one-time deal. So now it's by faith and not by works. But still, time, or we say time. God has measured out time and even said that if you understood the times, you could know when the Son of Man would return back to the Earth again. You could know, even not know that you might know the season, you might know that rather you might know the time, but you would know the season, not the exact hour, but the season. So we know that Jesus will not come back just any ordinary time. That's not possible, but we do know the season and the season would be right now. It will be during the time of atonement unless he would come like a thief in the night. In other words, if you had no awareness, you wouldn't know, but we can know at least the season. Why? It's the season of the trumpets and we know when Jesus returns, there will be a trump that will be sounded in the heavens. I wish I could preach it better. So he couldn't have died just in the old time. God chose that time and God works by patterns. Joel chapter 2, verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. This is the prophetic fulfillment. This is, blow the trumpet. He's talking about the feast of trumpets, which is the time of atonement. Consecrate a fast. That's Yom Kippur. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out of his chamber and the bride from her dress room. In other words, change your plans. This is not your time. This is his time. And if God's ever been speaking to anybody, he's been speaking to us that it's not about me, it's about him. And man, when you get his time in order in your life, and I I said this a while ago, if you want revival, it will cost you something. And the number one thing it's going to cost you is your precious time. So get him out. I know everybody's doing stuff, but you got to, I get it, but now's not that time. Now's the time we come together. Now's the time to do what God wants. And he said, and let the priest who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, so no, it's not even a happy time. Spare your people. Let him say, spare your people, O Lord. And do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for his lamb and pity his people. Be glad then, you children of Zion, that's the church, and rejoice in the Lord your God. Why? For he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. That means a double portion. When? In the first month. Of what? Of the Feast of Trumpets. So we're now in the, come on, y'all. Yeah, I don't know if you we're, we're, tonight we're entering into the new year, the new first month. Come on, somebody. And we're supposed to do what? Well, the priest's supposed to get real with God. The priest is supposed to be crying. But the people are to rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Because a double portion, the former and the latter rain is coming. And it don't stop there. It don't stop there. It just keeps going. This is where we get the seven blessings of atonement. The threshing floors shall be full of wheat. And the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. Everything in your life is going to be an abundant overflow. So I will restore to you restoration of the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. In other words, everything that has been eaten up in your life, everything's been stolen, everything's been robbed, everything's been taken from you. God says, I'll put it back. I'll put, touch your neighbor and say, God is going to put it back. Restoration during this time and he said you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied Woo! and praise the name of the Lord your God do we got some praises in the house this morning yes and he said who has dealt wondrously with you and my people he said shall never be put to shame then you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel and I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people shall never, never, ever, never, never, ever be put to shame and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Yeah, our kids. Come on. Our kids. Your old men shall dream dreams. Come on, y'all. Your young men shall see visions and also on your men servant, your maidservant, servant, I will pour out of my spirit in those days and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. He said, blood and fire, pillars of smoke, the sun will turn to darkness, that's an eclipse, the moon in the blood, that's the blood moons, before the coming of the great and the awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everybody cry out, "Jesus!" Jesus! For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem there shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said, among the remnant who the Lord has called. This is a season, a pattern, a cycle with God. He doesn't change it. He said, I am God and I change not. That this will be for your generation and their generations and generations to generation. It will never, ever stop. This is speaking of the atonement season. The feast of tabernacles and it's also known as the feast of trumpets. It's called a feast day, y'all. It's called a feast day. Not talking about going over here, come on, to the Golden Corral. Come on, y'all. And just chowing down. I know you're hungry. I know you want to get there soon. But that's not what I'm talking about. Not feasting out. Come on. Feast means appointment. Touch your neighbor and ask him, have you made your appointment with God yet? Come on. Touch your other neighbor and say, because he made one with you. Appointment. A feast day means God has set aside a day to which he says, I'm making an appointment with my people and I want them to show up and if they got to cancel something, cancel something. If they got to let something go, let something go. My time. <laughs> Woo! I hear a heavenly organ in the background. <laughs> Things have happened in scripture during the time of atonement that I think you need to know about. Did you know? Again, God could have done anything any day He wanted, but He chose the time of atonement to do what? To make man. Adam was made during the moment of the days of awe. Noah made this incredible ark because God said a flood's coming. What's a flood? Nobody knew what a flood was until Noah, amen. And he takes all this time to build this ark and it was exactly precisely on the day of atonement that God made the decision to shut the door and Noah and his family was able to float into safety. Job had this problem. You see, I'm gonna tell you some guys. Get ready, get ready, get ready miracles are about to happen in your body I'm here to tell you Job went through his time and he didn't see no hope and he, they wanted him to curse God and die he said I will not curse God I will not curse God he is the maker how dare I be in the clay have anything to say to the potter the potter tells the clay what it shall be and I will yet praise his name I will yet praise his name and he made up his mind, but it was exactly during the days of awe that Job was healed, the Bible said, when he prayed for others and God gave him double for his trouble, a double portion during the time of the, the atonement. You have many other uh, things here where God shows himself strong. Historically, he offers a way out of the rock in a hard place. If you feel like you got your back up against it, up against a wall, and you don't know how to get through, you're in the perfect place place for a miracle because honey if you could do it you'd get the glory but you can't do it so God's going to get the glory and you're going to give him the glory because you can't lie to yourself you know you couldn't do it David and Goliath you ever heard that story before it was at the time of atonement that David said, "I will take you down. I'm going to kill you, giant. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take off your head and feed your body to the fowls of the air. You uncircumcised Philistine, today is your last day. You will ever hurl one more curse word over the nation of Israel." And he takes him down when, during the time of atonement, what looked like nothing could happen. No way could they take out Goliath, and David, a young boy, takes him out. Or Daniel, ever heard of Daniel? And Daniel, how, how Daniel, every single day of his life, three times a day, thrice, it's just, I like to say thrice, thrice, three times a day, he'd open his window. Boom. And he prayed, oh, Lord, and he let not care what his neighbors thought about it. He wouldn't try to hide. He let the whole world know, I'm a believer. I love Jehovah. He's my God. Do the people that work know you're a born-again child of God? At some point, you got to open up your windows. Let the whole world know. Yeah, trouble will come. Trouble came to him too. They hated him for it. And so they tricked the king, King Darius, and said, uh, King, you know, uh, why don't you give us 30, 30 days, oh, king, this is going to be a good thing. Then no other religious pray to their gods, but they only pray to you for 30 days. He said, that sounds like a pretty good idea. You know how kings are. That sounds pretty good. So he signs out the petition. They knew what was going to happen. And they sent it out to everybody. And here comes home Daniel one day and got the note. He goes, hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Opens the window. Oh, God. I see the note, Lord, but you're more important than the note, you're more powerful than the king, you're king of kings and your Lord, of, he begins to pray. Doesn't care what anybody else thinks about it. And they nab him and take him and throw him into the lion's den. But it was during the days of all, the time of atonement, as he walked in, he trusted his God and God closed the mouths of the lions and he walked out safe got promoted I ain't got time to preach about Shadrach Meshach and a bungalow Billy go I forgot his name amen y'all know what I'm talking about they would not bow their knee to the image of Nebuchadnezzar we will not do it our knee only bows for Jehovah then you'll burn. You can throw us in, O oh king. But our God shall deliver us out. When? During the time of atonement. God makes a way where there seems to be no way. He pulls you out of the rock of the hard place. And all of a sudden because becomes the most easiest thing you've ever done in your life. Only God can do that. Leviticus 23 verse 2 and 25 says speak to the children of Israel and say to them the feast, the appointment of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocation. These are my appointments. You shall do no customary work on it and you will will rearrange your schedule and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. This whole thing is about giving an offering to God. Not just a financial one but yourself. You see when you give yourself he gets everything else with it. I'll never preach up here and say, that's the only offering. That is not even biblical. That's not true. If God ever gets your heart, he gets everything with you. He'll get your time. He gets your talents and your abilities. And he'll get your treasure. That's because you're willingly giving of what you have to God. Amen, somebody. And it was an offering during the appointment that was to be burned in fire. What does that mean? The Bible calls that an irrevocable, uh, irrevocable offering. Which simply means it can't be brought back. You burn it up. It's almost like it got wasted. Like, what was that about? I gave it for nothing. Like, it just got wasted. Because it wasn't for you. It was never with the idea or the intent that you were going to get anything back for it. It was just like, if I do this, Lord God, it's because I love you. I offer it to you because that's what I want to do. And some people say, well, I don't have a financial gift. I can't give much. I can't give much. Don't worry about amounts and what you can or cannot give. Give Give yourself first. Give yourself first. Get before God and and reclaim your walk with Him again and, and who He is. I want to be known as a man who walked with God, that was a friend to God, number one, then to my family and to my church. But I want He, He's got to be my priority. So it's an offering that you can't get back. It's an offering that you don't focus on what you'll get, it's more of what you're giving to God that's more important than anything else. I was here last night in prayer and I just said it out of my spirit. I only tell you these things, little personal things to maybe help you because maybe you've said things similar. And I said, Lord, I'm not after a promise. I'm after a person. It's not about the promise. It's about the person of who you are. It's not about the gift. It's about the giver of the gift. I want you more than what you can give me. And when you get like that, you are dangerous to the enemy. You are dangerous to darkness. You, you, And God begins to move heaven and earth on your behalf. Trust me. Absolutely right. I told the first service this too, that I was listening uh, yesterday. I I was actually doing prayer. And I was looking for a song that I wanted to worship with. So I was going to YouTube because I didn't have it. And I'm looking through YouTube for a song. And I'm here by myself. And I ran across this clip that somebody had put together with uh, um, with um, David Wilkerson. I remember it was David Wilkerson? Remember David Wilkerson? Okay, not a lot of you, but some of you do. And so David uh, Wilkerson, he died in 2011, um, 80 years old, and um, great prophet of God, evangelist, great testimony, built a huge church in, um, in the middle of Manhattan, New York City, incredible guy. And um, he was, they put a little clip together. And church a little music with it. And when this thing played, I wept and wept and wept like a baby. Because it hit me so hard as to where I'm at right now. And if you get a minute, look it up on YouTube, David Wilkerson. It's called The Cost of the Anointing. The Cost of the Anointing. And we think flippantly just because we're born-again believers, we're just going to walk in this power? Walk in this authority? Not so. It's potentially there. He said, God will not anoint a lazy preacher and he will not anoint a lazy Christian. If you're not willing to give your time to God, he can't give you what you ultimately want. And there's something in us that's aching. Aren't aren't you hungry? I'm hungry, guys. I'm hungry maybe maybe than I've ever been in my entire life. And I think some of you are too. But there's a frustration like, Lord, what, what, what? I'm going to tell you what, what, what. It's so simple. You just mark out time for God. And maybe for some of you it starts during Rosh Hashanah tonight. Maybe it starts maybe in the morning. However you want to do it these next 10 days to get yourself back with a relationship with God. Don't tell me you don't know how to pray. You do know how to pray. You can pick up a phone and call somebody. You can talk to God. It is easy. He's so easy. He's the most trustworthy force you've ever been around in your life. And you just talk to him. What's going on in your world? What's going on in your life? Then ask him these questions. Say, "Lord, what do you like? What do you want? What is it you desire?" Oh, he likes to talk. He'll he'll begin to share with you things and and you'll be but I I wept Because I said how true it is, we want God's presence in our life. We want his glory. We want the anointing. But we're not willing to pay the price to get away with him and spend time with him. I'm not after the things. I'm after him. So we're offering to God during this season. It's selflessness. It's being selfless. And why is this so important to us? This is the time that God makes decisions about our future according to his word. He makes decisions about you and me during this time. Think about it. Why is it that it seems that we move from one year to the, to the next, one year to the next, with no change in our life? Could it be that we simply not observed God's seasons properly? That we didn't understand that there was a there was a time to be healed, there was a time to. Be, sometimes God will do it just right on the spot, and His Word works twenty four seven. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes our life has to be walked out prophetically. And sometimes your life is used as a prophetic example for somebody else. How long did that man have to beg at the, at, the, at, the, at the gate before Jesus walked up to him and said, be healed? And they said, Lord, who sinned? Who was it that caused the problem? His mother or his father? And he said, not any of them. That wasn't the reason why he was lame. He was lame so that the glory of God could be revealed. And it didn't happen a day later. It didn't happen a day after. The day of his healing was that moment in time. But his life forever has been a testimony and a testament in the word of God to us believers. Your life could be very prophetic. And we don't like to hear that it's going to take a little bit more time. Because we're conditioned. We don't like patience. We don't like to wait for anything. We want things now, now, now. And it's not easy when you're suffering. It's not easy when things aren't going well. But you have to understand, God's got a perfect plan. And I can still, he's still perfect. He's still perfect. I can still fall upon him. Like my wife said in the first service, you got to learn to lean in on Jesus. Lean in on the Lord. Someone says, well, the season stuff, but that's Old Testament. Yeah, it is. But I'm going to tell you something. Never did it ever say we're supposed to throw the Old Testament away. I'm a New Testament believer like you are. We're New Covenant believers, no doubt about it. But the Old Testament was fulfilled by Jesus, which means every jot and tittle of that book is perfect. It's still perfect. And so we still live according to a New Covenant standard, but the, it'd be like this. It'd be like you want to build a second story on top of your house and say, I don't need this first story no more and rip it all down. Well, guess what? You don't have a second story anymore. You only have one story. Come on, someone. We got two stories. We got the first story and we got the second story. Someone say amen to this. So we don't rip it down. It's a part of our foundation. It's a part of who we are and how we're supposed to learn. And and I want to look at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16. Zechariah 14, 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Okay? And it shall be that whichever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. God takes this seriously. He said if the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the feast of tabernacles. My point to you is this. It is Old Testament. I understand that. I'm bringing it up to show you how sincere God is about his times. This is God's time. It is not ours. We don't get to make up the rules. And according to Jewish tradition, Jewish tradition, There are are heavenly books that they say that will be opened and God will inscribe each person's fate for the coming year into that book on the days of Rosh Hashanah. And he will wait until Yom Kippur, the last two days, to seal the verdict. So in other words, he said, I'm going to give you this span to get right. This takes place during the days of all. A Jew will begin to amend their behavior right now Jews all over the world will do this, amend their behavior, and seek forgiveness for wrong done against God and against his fellow man. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are set aside for public and private petitions and confessions of guilt with a desire to be forgiven by God. And if we ask him to forgive us, 1 John 1.9 says, he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He loves us. So the moment you get penitent, humble yourself. Get on your knees or whatever, you know, in your own heart. And you say, Lord, forgive me. In that very moment, he comes to forgive you. You don't have to do any rote and and pray all these different prayers and rosaries and all that stuff. and, And God bless them. But that's not what the Bible says to do. We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. That's it. But if we don't confess sin, guess what? Sin is still there. Well, I'm a believer and I walk by grace. I'm going to tell you something about grace. You better get to understand about grace. Grace does not give you the right to sin. Grace is the power that keeps you from sin. Why do we get it wrong? How is that not hard? easy to understand? I go to the throne room of God to find grace to help in time of need. So in other words, that grace keeps me. From sin and the flesh and disobedience and my conduct wrong before God. That's what grace really does. So, if we get out of sorts with God, what we do is, His children, we come to Him and we say, Lord, I was wrong and I am sorry. I, I tell you what, guys, I'm not a perfect human being and I've not been a perfect father in my life. And I'm sure my poor kids are dysfunctional. I bless their hearts. But I have tried, I've always tried to be honorable that if I make a mistake with them or with our family, I'll go to them and say, dad was wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. I was wrong. Oh, dad, everything's cool. Everything's cool. Dad, Don't worry about it. Because you know how that is. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. But I said, no, that's wrong. Why am, I, why am I doing that? Number one, if I humble myself, the Bible says that God will promote or lift me up. That's number one. Number two, if I don't humble myself, I'm showing my children that wrong is okay. And I thank God for each and every one of you because you take the house of God seriously. And I love the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, I'm falling more in love with the body of Christ than I ever had before. And that's why once in a while, like my, my, my Italian grandmother would say, once in a while you gotta get a little rat-a-tat-tat across the behind because I love you and I'm gonna tell you the truth. And I don't mean to be like that. And so I got on Facebook and I didn't get a lot of likes from my Facebook post, but I'm trying to tell people, how can we have a move of God if you won't show up? How can we have revival if you won't even show up? And we wonder why millennials have lost, they're out there in the world, they don't. They, same-sex marriage, they're okay with all that stuff, and they say they love Jesus, and they still, they still love the Lord, and yet they're okay with all that garbage and all that sin that's going on out there. And are you hearing what I'm saying? And we wonder why we're losing millennials, because we, the parents, didn't raise them to be in the house of God. That's why. You are what you're around most. And you bring in your 18-year-old and your 20-something-year-old kid and you want them saved. But the problem is they have been conditioned to a world for 24-7 and two hours a week ain't going to get it done. We got The Bible says to assemble yourselves even more, even more, even more together as you see the day approaching. Am I telling the truth? So congratulations. I'm so proud of you because you came and you're here and it's a big deal to God. It's a big deal to God. Let me make this statement. Because what we're after, what God's after is repentance. And you know what repentance is? It is not crying. Although I promise you, you will cry. (laughs) But he don't look at your tears and go, now I understand. Now I'll forgive you. No, repentance, tears are a byproduct of repentance. Repentance literally means to turn. And a better vernacular would be to Return. So you're going one direction, you make a 180, and now you go another. It is, it is, it is a decision of the heart and the mind to say, I and me and mine are following after God, and I'm tired of following after my own life. How many have noticed that every time we try to follow our own plan, it always fails? It's never what we thought it was gonna be. It never brings the joy we thought. Come on, y'all wanted a new car so bad. You wanted a new car so bad, and you talked yourself into the new car, and it was, oh, it was awesome. It was that new car smell, y'all. Come on. Ooh. he has got a great stereo. Got the windows down summertime. Got your lean on. Come on, somebody. Or now they lean this way. They lean this way. And, and, you, and you got the red, oh, and the, it's Going Everybody's looking at you. What's up? What's, happening? What's going on? A, my a new car. It was God's blessing upon my life, you know. Don't hate. Don't hate. It's God's blessing. Until that first payment. It all fun and games and joyful until the first payment. Come on, somebody. And it's like that devil from hell. (laughs) The bank can come get this car. They wanted that back. (laughs) My point is, my point is, is that things don't give us joy, right? You thought that new man was going to give you joy. Broke your heart. You thought that new woman was going to give you joy. She broke your heart. Because we're trying to find that fulfillment in things and in people that they can never fill. They, They were never supposed to. You can't even put that kind of pressure on them. That's only a God thing. If you want or you need a miracle from God, act like it. Talk like it. Live like it. Give like it. Make God your complete and total priority. You say, you're talking like a fanatic. You better believe I am. It's about time we got fanatical about what we believe, man.